Sunset Lake CBD is a majority employee-owned hemp farm located right outside of Burlington, Vermont. Before they started growing hemp, Sunset Lake Farms produced cream for Ben & Jerry's. Sunset Lake CBD doesn't use any pesticides or herbicides to grow any of its hemp plants, and they use organic fertilizer and other sustainable farming techniques to ensure the long-term health of the soil and to minimize their carbon footprint. So like all of us, my days are really stressful. By the end of the night, my kids are in bed, I'm taking a minute to chill, but I'm still unwinding. I recently started using the Relax Gummies infused with CBD isolate, reishi mushroom extract, and ashwagandha root extract. I'm really glad I tried these because they really helped me get ready for a good night of sleep, and I really think I sleep better, so I'd highly recommend it. So check out Sunset Lake CBD today at sunsetlakecbd.com and use the code HFPOD for 20% off your order. That's sunsetlakecbd.com and use the code HFPOD for 20% off your order. Farmer-owned, Vermont-grown, Sunset Lake CBD. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey, listeners. I want to tell you about a sponsor, Music Masters Collective. They're a nonprofit organization that produces unique music events, providing opportunities for fans and artists to meet and collaborate in an inspired and creative atmosphere. Every week, they host different events, all with the opportunity to learn from world-class musicians like O'Teal Burbridge, Trouble No More, former members of the band, Milk Carton Kids, Nikki Glaspie, Bill Frizzell, Sean Colvin, and many more. This June, join the Fab Foe, Joan Osborne, John Sebastian, Marshall Crenshaw, and a great group of faculty for the debut of Magical Mystery Camp. This all-inclusive, once-in-a-lifetime music vacation experience in the heart of the Catskills will be packed with nightly performances, workshops, speakers, song circles, open mics, and a lot more. If you're a performing musician at any level, bring your instrument. If you're a music lover, bring your good spirit. It's an amazing experience for individuals, friends, and couples alike. Registration is open, spots are filling up, so check it out soon. And scholarships are available. Check out magicalmysterycamp.com slash helpingfriendly to learn more. Osiris. Hello, hello, hello. How's everyone doing out there? Niche Fish Podcast World. My name is Brian Brinkman. I'm here with Megan and Jonathan on a rainy, cool Monday morning here in Denver, Colorado. This is the rainy season out in Colorado, as we call it. It is much needed. It's not raining as much as it should be raining. We need much more than this. But I think that this is like the peak of what we're going to get for the next 12 months. So I'm wearing a flannel. I wore shoes today for the first time in weeks. I've been wearing sandals just as God if like, it's summertime. I know, total. I didn't drive with my windows down today. 
We had to remember a coat for my son, you know, all these sorts of things. Wow. How did you do it today, Brian? This is a lot. <laughs> well, Meg, I'll tell you what I did. I put on some music and I put my head down and I just moved forward through the day. Cause that's the only thing you can do in these times, you know? Yeah. I'm impressed. Thank you. I find moving backwards through the day is actually great because you know what's happened already mm. and you know, <laughs> it really helps to succeed. You know, it's an interesting point. I would love to somehow mirror the way I feel around like 930 at night when I'm like, ah, that list was accomplished. Everything's just I feel fine. Good. I, I'd love to like mimic that uh, at like 545 in the morning when my dogs get me up. But, you know, that's just not the way that the world works. Did you um, start this off by calling this a niche podcast? Mm-hmm. He did. It is, yeah. I'm sorry. I only do mainstream fish podcasts. <laughs> <laughs> this that's probably what this is. We're mainstream is now because of the whale. My manager said this was mainstream when they yeah. signed me up for it. Yeah, we lied to your manager. <laughs> oh, God damn it. I actually I stole that intro. There's probably someone <laughs> out there listening. If, if let, I'll, I'll hold off telling you where i stole that from if there's a listener out there who knows what other niche podcast i stole that intro from respond here and uh, we will sing your praises but um before we get into the um contest portion of today's show meg how are you doing i'm doing good i've had some downtime like maybe some of our listeners have and you know it's been nice i should have been reading more, but I did a lot of cooking and mainly I just listened to fish and watch TV. So I needed Sounds it. all right. I needed it. <laughs> Sounds I finished, pretty good. I finished Ozark, which is incredible if you haven't seen it. I, I watched a lot of bad TV. It was, it was great. I really needed the downtime, honestly. It's fair. So I, I made the mistake when I got COVID of I grabbed like seven books and I brought them downstairs and I was like, I'm going to read all these books. And uh, I made it through one and a half of them. <laughs> you propped your feet up. Very on ambitious. I was just like, that's interesting. That's interesting. That's it. You know, I'm downstairs for six days or however long I was downstairs for. Like, I should probably do some reading. And I just, as I do on every vacation, I just over selected books. And then I didn't, I, I read through one of them. That's an accomplishment, though. I think I read like half a New Yorker and like 25 pages of a book. So you did better than <laughs> I did. <laughs> John, how are you doing? Jonathan, how are you doing? I am. I'm okay. I'm tired. It's been a long weekend of not uh, not a lot going on. And, um, and it's probably the last one of those for a little while because I've got a child graduating from high school this month. So. Ooh. Everything wow. happens this month. Everything. Yeah. So, and I decided to go ahead and release an album, shameless plug, uh, at the end of this month. So I'm dealing. I'm doing that stuff too. So because I'm smart. Hiding an album with amazing cover art, I will say. Uh, yes. Thank you. Can we give you between thirty and eighty-five seconds to promote your album right now? Nah. It's yes. Fine. Just Please. go to jmhart.bandcamp.com or um, search j.m.hart on your Apple Musics or your, I don't know, Pandora, uh, Amazon Music, those things. But not that um, one that begins with an S because 
I don't do that. I'm not there. Well done. Well done. Yeah, yeah. They, they kicked me off once already, so I'm not going back. Mm, mm, mm. The Bandcamp is great for anyone out there who does not utilize the services. Not only do you get a ton of money that goes directly to the artist, but every what is it, the first Friday or the last Friday of the month? It's first Friday. In fact, this coming Friday. So if you go to Bandcamp to find my album, just just make sure you have it set up an account, start, put me on your wish list, and then go back there on Friday, and then you can order the CD or the digital, which you'll get on the day it releases. Uh, I might be shipping CDs prior to release because I'll have them by then. And uh, and then all, all of the money will come to me, minus whatever PayPal wants because, of course... Somebody's got. Someone's got to take something. Yeah, that's so. But great it's amazing. It, it's amazing. Like you, you get to listen to I think an album like two times through if you're if 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 you like utilize Bandcamp's service, free listen two times to two times through something like that, similar to the other streaming sites. But then they do this thing, where if it's your third time through, they're like, "Hey, I think you like this record." why don't we give the artist a little bit of money? And it's a good way of being like, yeah, I've listened to this a couple of times. I'll probably listen to it more. How about I give you some money so that you can make another record? Yep. Amazing yep. concept. And it's great. The app is pretty usable now, especially now because you can do playlists uh, and queue up stuff and, you know, download stuff offline. If you go places where you're offline and, uh, and if you are like me and you buy a crap ton of music through Bandcamp, um, and you should be like me, um, then you you will never be without a ton of great music. Always. And you will have supported Always. artists. So, okay. Jonathan has a new record coming out. What is the name of the record again? I'm sorry. Um, it's called Slips, Trips, and Falls. It's a good album title. Yeah, good title. Like that. We will be listening to Jonathan's record when it comes out live and uh, commenting on it. Good points. You know, I think I'm busy that day. (laughs) (laughs) I can't wait to hear it. I loved your last record. I love your music overall. So um, we are talking today, though, about. The early years of fish. And we are talking specifically about the first gig where Mr. Paige McConnell sat down with fish and some amazing things happened. And we're going to dive into that. We're talking 5385, which was at the University of Vermont. This was the last day party at Redstone campus. It's an outdoor show. Three sets. We've only got two that are available for listen, but uh, the full set list is available online, which is really cool. And we get some Jeff segments. We get some humor. We get some Grateful Dead. And then we get Paige McConnell joining Fish. And we start to hear just this hint of where this band is going. It's really fascinating. I can't wait to dive into this. Some of these things happen all at the same time. All at the exact same time. Yes, they do. (laughs) um and we get a little ditty in the encore that has only been played 12 times and uh would just make an amazing bust out and would really (laughs) test your fish nerdery but we'll get into all of that quite a song we're also going to talk about our favorite songs 
page has written and contributed to Fish. And we're going to talk about our favorite moments that Paige McConnell has um, contributed to improvisational jams. I had a lot of fun listening back to some improvisational jams that feature specific page moments here. But we're going to jump into the show first, 5385, right after we hear a word from our sponsors. Meg. You know who our sponsor is? It's Sunset Lake CBD. Their line of smokable hemp products are for the old deadhead, Jonathan Hart, or the Who's young old? fish fan, like um, like me. <laughs> Anyone searching for a mellow body high. Smoking CBD has all the benefits of high THC cannabis without the paranoid and anxious side effects. There are nine different strains from this year's harvest, and there's something for everyone. The Hawaiian Haze is awesome for an outdoor show, and Cherry Abacus is best for the end of the night. All of the flower is grown, cured, and trimmed by Sunset Lake CBD farmers. Even better, Sunset Lake CBD has this farm-to-table approach, so they get you great pricing on premium CBD flour because they ship directly from their farm to your door. Can I interject here and tell you? Because um, I just ordered a bunch of stuff. The other night, I was like, yeah, but, you know, my, my balm is getting a little low and, you know, things are getting a little low. So I uh, jumped on their Gotta website. Easy to use. So many options. It's almost a little like, well, you know, that's that's a me problem, right? Like too many options. But uh, <laughs> uh, I, I found what I needed, got it in there. Um, there's a, there's a cool code that I know you're going to tell everybody about here in a second, plug that in, boom, saved a bunch of money and it's already shipped and it will be here any minute now. They have the fast shipping. The fastest shipping. It's amazing. Yeah. I really relied on this, um, last week, uh, while I was just recovering and I, every night before I went to bed, I was either taking gummy or what I really started to do was use the tincture. The tincture is great. It tastes great. I was putting a generous amount under my tongue and just slipping into like a really solid sleep. And I needed that. So I know that people have had a lot of problems sleeping um, while they're dealing with COVID. So I would highly recommend trying some CBD. It was great for me. So check them out today at sunsetlakecbd.com and use our coupon code that Jonathan was talking about. It's HFPOD. And you're going to get 20% off all your products. Sunset Lake CBD, farmer owned, Vermont grown. You want to know what my move is? What? Let's hear it. So I'm here in Mountain Time, and one of the benefits (laughs) of Mountain Time is that we get late-night baseball games at a reasonable hour. So I'm talking like Seattle Mm. Mariners, uh, Los Angeles Angels, the Dodgers, the Giants, the Athletics. And so I'll be doing some work or hanging out on the couch, and I will make a cup of tea, and I'll throw some of the tincture in there. By the time I'm done with that cup of tea, it does not matter where we're at the baseball game. I'm ready. Like I am, I could sink into the couch, but it's my, it's my sign that, all right, we're tired. It's ready to go to bed. And I go to bed with that with complete ease. I've been off social media for the last two months at this point in time. So there's nothing to look at in bed. It's just. You're missing so much though. Let me I, mean, I know. How are you missing, Brian? How are you oh, getting? the melts. You know, uh, the snark in me has just like. It's 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 almost cleansed uh, out of my pores. I don't have any snark. Everything is. Wow. I'm so earnest right now. It's you crazy. are. But, 
but that's that's my move and it's uh it's a good move in the evening and um, i highly highly recommend it speaking of mellow tones that slip you off into another universe i can't wait to talk about the other one jam here and the contributions oh of mr page mcconnell but before we get all the way to set three gonna set the table a little bit here so fish forms the campus of the university of vermont in the fall of 1983 they play their first gig on december 2nd 1983 according to fish.net we have a handful of fish shows that occur throughout 1984 at one point here uh trey is evicted for or kicked out of school uh for a fun prank um the band reconvenes in 1985. I believe it's the summer after this uh, this semester that um, trained fishmen travel to Europe and mm -hmm. backpack around Europe and write a number of songs, including Harry Hood, after a, according to Trey, a near-death experience in the Mediterranean Sea. Um but this spring of 1985 is really like the, the start of this band kind of coming together and playing gigs. They're playing fairly regular gigs. There's a really good gig in March that is discussed uh, in episode two of the first season of Undermine. But coming ahead to the end of the school year in May 1985, 37 years ago tomorrow, the same amount of time has passed since yours truly has been on this planet as well. Make of that what you will. Fish gets together to play a show on Redstone campus for the UVM last day party. They play three sets. The first set is current fish at that point in time, which is Trey, Mike, Jeff Holdsworth and Fishman. And at one point, Towards the end of the first set, following Dave's energy guide, Trey says, we're going to play one more song. We're going to take a break. And then we're going to bring our friend Paige McConnell up on keys. Who would have known? In front of a handful of people. Jeff's got a new amp. But, you know, they're playing on their gear that they've just been playing on. Who would have known that this guy who's going to join them on keys is not just joining for one performance, but is going to become a central cog in this band, a central leg to the table that is fish, if you will, <laughs> and is going to take the band in places that none of them could have foreseen when they initially started this art project, if you will, and is going to completely change Trey's perspective, who initially thought fish was a two guitar band. Maybe Before Mike knew. I feel like Mike might have known. I think Mike, Mike knew. Mike, 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 Mike had known. Mike Mike's knew. never going to tell you what he knew. Just forget <laughs> it. I don't know what that means. Sorry. Megan, what are your thoughts as you think back to the earliest days of Fish? What are your thoughts about this kind of in-between period where it's a two-guitar band and then Paige joins? What, what, does that, what does that sound feel like to you as a, as a Fish listener? You know, it's really hard for me to pick out the differences between the two guitars. To me, they kind of sound 
I'm always trying to figure out who's playing what. Um, I guess I'm just not sophisticated enough of a listener. But I think the minute that you hear Paige join the band in this third set, there's such a richness to the sound that they lack before that. It just sounds more full and more complete to me. And I think that's why Mike actually really wanted Paige in the band. And I love the stories of how when Fishman and Trey went away for the summer to Europe, that Mike has these like secret meetings with Paige. I don't know if they're secret, but and he teaches him a bunch of the catalog, a bunch of the fish songs, so that when they come back, you know, Mike's like, oh, Paige is here. And Trey's like, I don't know. But then it's kind of like, no, Paige is here. And he just knows it all. And here he is playing it. And it sounds like it just kind of evolved like that. So I love thinking that Mike actually had an idea that this is really would be an a benefit to the band. Yeah, it's interesting because that's that that's the type of thing that kind of makes you realize that this was always a a group project rather than like a Trey led project. Mm-hmm. So many of the initial songs are Trey, but like without Mike pushing that, the band goes in a completely different direction. And that kind of reminds me of there's an anecdote in the Fish Book where Mike teaches the band a song by Max Creek, but pretends that it's his own song. <laughs> and then <laughs> they won't learn it because Trey doesn't want to play covers at that point in time. And then they're all at a Max Creek show like months later. And the band <laughs> plays the song that Mike taught them. And Mike's like, I, I don't know what happened. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> See, Mike, he's sneaky, but he gets what he wants. <laughs> he does. It's it's pretty amazing. Jonathan, what are your thoughts at this point? You you you've spoken at length about this era of fish, but what are your thoughts about it? Yeah, you know, it's funny listening to this show in isolation, whereas last time I, I think I listened to this was when we were working on Undermine Season 1, and I listened to a, a lot, if not almost all, of the 80s fish that circulates, which is still quite a bit, despite the significant gaps. Um, and I found that the uh, I had some of the same trouble that Meg has in, in identifying you know, when it's Trey and when it's Jeff, sometimes I'm like, Oh, well, that's definitely Trey. Yeah. And, and then other times it's like, and I think this is one of the problems with the two guitar fish. And one of the reasons why two guitar fish probably never truly had a significant future. Like everybody knows the story, you know, Jeff, you know, wasn't really down with some of the material that they were doing, didn't want to learn it, couldn't learn it, whatever, you know, but wasn't really into it and kind of saw another path. He graduated and saw another path for himself and and, and left. But had he not felt that way, would it have held up? I'm not sure. They were not carving... Um, when the Grateful Dead were a two guitar band in the in, in the sixties, so it, actually they were always a two guitar band, of course. But when they in the in the sixties, when they were playing off the shelf guitars before Jerry started customizing and whatnot, they really made a point of playing kind of different sounding guitars. Not yeah. day one, mm-hmm, but definitely. very early on, they started to realize, you know, like you know, if I play this and you, while well, you play that. You know, we could craft different sounds. And sometimes they would maybe still be playing the same, like a Gibson, you know, uh, Jerry on like an SG and Bobby on a, you know, a different one. And, you know, but they would craft distinct tones. These guys weren't really doing that yet. And it, it, 
it's probably fine when you're in the room, but it doesn't hold on tape. Like it's really is like, you know, who's doing what. And it's almost, I don't know if it's important who's doing what, but it, you know, like when you listen to Dave's energy guide, it actually doesn't matter who's doing what it kind of right. works. <laughs> right. Um, but when you listen to the jams in the second or the third set, but the second set that we have, which is the third set, um, yeah, it, it gets almost a little confusing and frustrating. And then there's Paige, who is just flowing right through. Sometimes hard to hear because of the quality of the tape. It's not a tonal thing, though. It's just the tape. Um, but he's he's making the bed. And uh, maybe even forming the glue that is kind of running in between all the spaces. I like it. I think the Grateful Dead comp is a really good one for where the band was at at this point in time, especially when you think about how the Grateful Dead evolved with two guitars into the uh, 1970s. There's no mistaking Bob's, Bob Weir's guitar playing to Jerry Garcia's. It's not just the guitars, yeah. it's the styles. You know, well, Bob Weir's... Bobby couldn't play when the Grateful Dead started and right. learned to play sitting beside Jerry and learned and to play and compliment him. him. Whereas these... Yeah. Guys both came into fish, formed fish, both knowing how to play um, generally. And Bob uh, cultivated like a real rhythm guitar sound. You know, he listened yeah. to jazz rhythm players who were, who were, who he cultivated that as yeah. a compliment to Jerry. Yeah. Whereas these well, two you guys get this are like doing a sort of a dual lead thing, but really they're doing yeah. a singular lead that is not the same as like, uh, you know, Dwayne Allman, Dickie Betts or something. Yeah, you get the sense. And I remember when we talked to Jeff Holdsworth um, for, for season one of Undermine, you get the sense that Jeff came to college really knowing how to play guitar. And he'd been playing guitar throughout the late 1970s into the early 1980s. And he really impressed Trey. And at that point, Trey was still really learning how to play guitar and still not even finding his voice, just figuring out, like, how do I approach this instrument in a lot of cases? And that changes in a very short window of time. Yeah, and when that changes... super I, focused. And right. just, like, he came in. He was probably the hot shit of his friend group, though, as a guitar player. Right. And then just, but you know, we all probably knew somebody like that in high school. And like, when you're in high school, you're like, that guy's pretty good. And then you go to a show and you're like, oh no, that's pretty good. Um, but Trey quickly bridged that gap. Bridges that gap. And he, the focus that you talked about, like the sense that Trey saw something way beyond where he currently was and way beyond even where fish had the ability to be in the early part of college that would ultimately impact his own practicing. And it would ultimately impact the way that his guitar would, would sound as a, uh, um, as he evolved in the 1980s. And I get the impression from hearing what Holdsworth has said and from hearing fish at this point in time, that it was a fun thing for him. It was fun to be in a band. And when, that stopped being fun or when he kind of reached the end of the line, he was done. And Trey had 30 plus years of evolution to, to, to go through on, on a, on a massive scale. And when you hear page come in and we're going to talk a little bit about um, his own journey, his own improvisational journey and his own uh, education, but you hear almost immediately 
in this show, the complimenting, you know, where we're talking about, there's not even like a duel between Trey and Jeff. It's more just, here's what we both play, go, you know, straight at you with Paige, you suddenly get that compliment that you don't get with, with two guitars. Should we jump into five, three eighty five and talk a bit about this show? Sure. Let's do it. So we get segments of this tape. It would be amazing to hear this full show. And um, for anyone listening out there, for anyone hanging with us, please feel free to share your thoughts on this show, on um, overall your views on on how Paige has impacted Fish and, and your thoughts on kind of favorite jams. We'll share those as we move into the second half of the show. But um, set one of this show is Slave to the Traffic Light, Mike's Dave's Energy Guide, and Big Leg Emma. Uh, which I believe is our the only time we've ever heard this song live. But we only have on tape Mike's Into Dave's Energy Guide. What were you guys' thoughts on the Mike song? Megan, I'll start with you. Yeah, I think it's so interesting. Like you were saying before, Brian, about how Trey had bigger ideas than even what they could play then. Like it's incredible to hear Mike's and later um Antelope, where they're these are just monster songs, but this is kind of in their infancy, and you can hear them kind of like they're slow and they're like a little clunky. They're really like sophisticated musical ideas, but they're still working the chops to like play really complicated music. I also love, I feel like they sound like the early Beatles when they're singing this. It's just they have this like earnestness and this like forwardness in their sound and their voice when they're singing. And just to me, it was like really endearing. I mean, the bass line's amazing. Fishman sounds great. Trey does this like impressive solo. And then there are some additional lyrics, which are kind of hard to hear before they segue into Dave's energy guide. I don't know what they're saying, but um, I've never heard that before. But um, but the Dave's energy guide is very spirited. And I love Trey's comment after he says something like, for those of you that have trouble directing your energy, that will be available on cassettes and records soon. <laughs> Still waiting on that record. Yeah, I'm like, really? Hmm, haven't gotten it yet. Um, but I just love that. I also, I know you were talking about it last week about this song, but it's just so crazy that the song only was played 21 times, Dave's Energy Guide, but it's been teased like, I mean, it's probably been teased over like 150 times. It's just, yeah. as recently as in the paper. It, it yeah, yeah, depends on MSG. who you trust. Um, yeah, that's true. <laughs> some more than others. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, Jonathan, yeah. what were your thoughts on this, Mike? I think it's cool. I, I, I love all this old stuff. I'm an 80s fish fan. Um, I enjoy listening to these songs as they're taking shape. And, you know, I, I like the notion of the band writing a song they can't quite play. So, <laughs> you know, does that make sense? Yeah. Like, like, yeah, no, it's all, I love like they're right. That. It's written Definitely. with ambition. <laughs> yeah. um, I mean, I, I should try that. It's really hard when you're solo, <laughs> yeah. but um, yeah, you know they they're uh, they really they're going for it in spite of the fact that they're just you know quite go as far as they would one day. I mean, it was nine years before I saw them doing well before I saw them doing anything, and they were you know light years beyond this in like their kind of control and mastery and probably played uh, half as many notes um which is that's an art uh, i i dig it i think it's so cool and can we just 
talk about Dave's or do we want, do you want to talk about Mike's first, Brian? Because this yeah, is, jump in. I don't have a lot to say on it other than it's really cool and it mm-hmm. is um it is weird meditative music and you can really hear the um not classic rock influences on Trey and and the band as a, a uh, at large in this piece and I think it's very cool to listen to. Yeah, you know, it's interesting you talk about the not classic rock influences. Like this is as close to a King Crimson song that we'll probably ever get from uh Fish, especially at this point. Um I don't know. I heard I, they're gonna cover red uh this summer in its entirety at Deer Creek. I believe that. <laughs> Deer I Creek. That. Let's let's spread that. <laughs> <laughs> You heard it here first, folks. Yeah, just write that down. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's interesting because I was thinking about this. I, I was I was listening to this show yesterday morning, and um, I was thinking about like one of my great realizations. I don't know if it's great, but it was great to me uh, throughout. You know, working on Undermine season one was the clarity is which you hear that the actual influences for Trey at this point are Peter Gabriel. Robert Fripp, Brian Eno, and not necessarily the Grateful Dead. And yet you listen to a show like this and it's just scattered with Grateful Dead covers and um, uh, an Allman Brothers cover. And it, it really shows this like really fascinating dichotomy between his fascination with British psych folk prog rock, this mashup, you know, crazy Eastern style music. And, you know, this kind of the legacy of the 1960s, the legacy of classic rock in a jam sense. And that that dichotomy has always been a part of what makes fish such a unique stew in, in music. And so you listen to this Dave's energy guide and it's such a, you talk ambition, like it's such an ambitious song to throw out in an early stage in your career. The one thing I want to say about Mike's is I just love the way that they sing this song in the 1980s, the vocal inflections. Like they sound like they're trying to be like a British punk band. You you mentioned the like early Beatles and I totally hear what you're saying. Like everything is overemphasized yeah. in a way that it would not be later on. Um, I also think it's fascinating that like Mike's song was one of the first fish songs I learned on guitar. And it's, it just, it's a great riff. It's got a really catchy chorus that's really fun to play because it's like three chords. And then it's got this jam segment. And the jam segment is basically two chords that over the next nearly 40 years, they'll take in a multitude of directions. And it really kind of shows you like a good song can just stop after those things. Like you have that. Don't, don't, you know, and and we're talking Fisher that like has written so many compositions and the restraint to be like, Nope, that song, we're just going to let it be and we're going to let it organically grow for the next 40 years. I love that about this. But um, yeah, it's a fun first set. I think, you know, to something we were saying earlier, it's challenging to differentiate at this level uh, Trey versus Holdsworth because they're both playing similar guitars. They're both playing a similar kind of aggressive and forward-seeking guitar style. But to hear them at this point and to hear a tape like this specifically where you get fish without page in one set and the very next set, you're going to get fish with page really, really showcases the division of where this band is at at this point. Yeah. yeah, I, I love the comment about the vocals. I can hear, if I think about this song and I hear it in my head, 
I hear a 1989 version. I hear note for note. I hear the way they sing it. I hear the little ad- vocal ad libs to it. Mm-hmm. And I hear that's how that song exists in my brain. Uh, unless I like try to remember a specific like, you know, nineties version or whatever. And right. uh, I don't really try to l- remember a 3.0 version. So that's where I am. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> so set two, we do not have on tape, but for those of you taking notes at home, we get alumni blues, wild child. Can't you hear me knocking a jam into cities and then bring it on home. Um, this is the first fish known performance of bring it on home. And it's got Bobby Brown on harmonica. And I'm guessing it's not that Bobby Brown, but what? we don't have this set on tape. You no, can't no. prove it. You can't. Uh, you already can't. It. There's no audio. I can't prove anything. <laughs> um, what we do get is set three. And um, I said it at the start of this, but I'll say it here again. Um, at the end of set one, I'm going to say big leg Emma. Trey says our friend Paige from Goddard is going to sit in later. I just can't tell you how much I love that that is actually on tape because it's literally, it's a, it's a historical timestamp there of Trey saying our friend, we like this guy. He's pretty good at keyboards. He's going to hang out with us. He's from Goddard. This is foreshadowing. And at the time, you know, they're playing out in like a, a quad for a bunch of people in the middle of the afternoon, literally not nothing that actually happened in their career. And this again is another thing I just love about going back to eighties fish, nothing that would happen to fish going forward in their career could in any way have been predicted based on a show like this. They're just, they're buddies who can play music, who are deciding to play in front of people, whether they want to hear it, or not. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> right. The uh, the barely invited band on the quad. Exactly. Right. right. <laughs> so <laughs> set three. We're going to jump into this. We open with um, Scarlet Begonias into Eyes of the World. Two classic uh, dead covers. Uh, of course, the very first fish tape from 12203 has just two songs on the audio recording. Scarlet Begonias into Fire on the Mountain. We are still very clearly in a period where Trey is, if not obsessed with, he's he's inspired by, fascinated by the Grateful Dead and kind of knows that the way to draw in a good crowd on Mm a nice spring afternoon in Vermont, Friday afternoon, is to play a little bit of Grateful Dead. Um, Jonathan, you host a Grateful Dead podcast on Osiris Media. Pod. For those of you who are not aware of it, it is an amazing podcast. What are your thoughts on the way, sporadically, what are your thoughts on the way that Trey approaches the Grateful Dead at this era in, in comparison to like, name your young jam band who wants to play the Grateful Dead? Yeah, he, I mean, Trey is not trying to be the Grateful Dead. He's playing Grateful Dead songs. Uh, they are playing Grateful Dead songs, right? Um, and they're not unfaithful to the material, but, you know, they're not committing hard 
to the thing. This is not Grateful Dead tribute band. This is not Dark Star Orchestra in their early days or whatever. This is this is any number of good young bar bands, what have you, who, as you say, this is the kind of material that attracts some ears, and and they do it justice. Uh, it's fun to listen to them do this, and I would stop and listen to a band playing this stuff anywhere, anywhere. Sorry, you know, to my wife, who would probably be like, dude, we got to, like, hang on, they're playing Scarlet. I'm sure it won't last more than 30 minutes. Um, and, uh, yeah, no, it's, it's cool. It's fun. And they do get into some improvisation, which is kind of, uh, uh, it's chill. It's a nice little jam. It's not quite a Scarlet Fire jam or anything like that. It's still, it's a little more uniquely theirs, which is great. Um, and you know, we can really hear some of Paige's contributions in this really making the sound complete. Um, I, I think that, you know, there are plenty of dead cover acts or whatever that are doing it without a a keyboard player or what have you. And I I think that, um, you can get away with it, but it's better if you have one. And I think they're proving that right here. Agree. And, the the, it's kind of a groove and jam as it moves into eyes of the world. Totally. it's their own take on it. You know, it's, it's, it's faithful to the actual song itself, but then the jam is their own take on it. Um, Megan, as someone who saw a number of Grateful Dead shows before you got into fish, what, what are your thoughts on this? And what are your thoughts on like the Grateful Dead being an entry point for fish? What does that, what does that mean to you? I mean, secretly, I love listening to fish play the Grateful Dead. I mean, clearly, they would have been the world's best Grateful Dead cover band. Shouted um, from the mountaintops. I know. Don't tell anybody. No, I mean, shouted so, from the mountaintops. <laughs> I'm so glad they're not. Obviously, Trey is an incredible composer and had so many musical ideas, and I think he made all the right decisions by not going down that road. But it is so good. I mean, just listening, even when he's singing Scarlet, like it's just it's really great. And I think listening to them, his solo is incredible, Scarlet Begonia's there's this beautiful transition into eyes of the world. Like both of you have said, I echo that, that they really made it their own in a way that, that is hard to do because the dead do it so well. It's very easy just to imitate them, but they really take on and have this like fullness and richness. And it's cool to see in this set how much improv they're doing, which maybe speaks to what Paige brought in, in a way that, you know, I know we're going to talk about more because improv is really what Paige is so great at. But I think, just hearing them play these classic Grateful Dead songs just hits like a spot in my heart that is just like my dream. I've never heard them play any Grateful Dead live. I heard when right after Jerry died, I saw Fish at Shoreline in 95 in the fall and I heard them dedicate I'm Blue and I'm Lonesome to Jerry. And that was a moment I'll never forget, but I would love and just die to hear them play a Grateful Dead song. <laughs> it's, just, it's like a, I feel like it's a dirty secret I have. I don't know. To share. Uh, I, I want to build on what you were saying and add to what I was saying, which is I think part of why these songs work and they're not, you know, hardcore covers, but they're really nice is because, you know, Trace really developing a voice. Mm-hmm. Mike's got a voice yeah. uh, still in development. Fishman is 
singular, even at this young age. Oh, he sounds singular. so good in these in these songs. And and even and Jeff, you know, he he's not Bob Weir or Jerry Garcia, nor does he care to be. And I think that all works quite well. Um, and I think that's what makes it sound like them, even though they're mm-hmm. doing a pretty fair version of the song. That's a really good way to put it. And it's, it's interesting to think about this show in the context of, we, we talked about a show from April 29th, 1987 last week. So we're talking just two years at a time. And at that point they're playing three complete sets full of music. I mean, this is a three set show, but this feels like a, all right, we've played for 45 minutes. We're just going to take a break. Okay. We've played for, you know, the show at Nectar's is like a full, we're going to give you 90 minutes. We're going to take a break. We're going to give you night. You know, we're going to give you a full concert here and it's got a lot of covers in it, but it's got a lot of fish originals. And it's at a point when like Fluffhead is starting to come together and you enjoy myself is together and songs like, um, uh, like I am hydrogen have come along. You know, we've got all these just moments of fish coming together. And here we're at a point where most of this show that we have on tape are cover songs and our cover songs in the sense of, you know, jam band legacy artists at this point in time. And yet to your point, Jonathan and Megan fish is putting their own spin on it and they're figuring out where their voice is and they're playing these songs, you know, in a way that is a testament to, Scarlet Begonia's Eyes of the World, Whipping Post. But then immediately when they get into a jam segment, that jam is colored by their own ideas. And that to me, like you could never have predicted it at the time, but that's where you can start to hear ever so slightly the seeds of where this band would go long-term. You know, I think uh, Whipping Post is one of Mm -hmm. the uh, examples that disproves the rule, if you will. Like here's part, here's a tune where I can really kind of differentiate between Trey and Jeff. Mm-hmm. Um, Jeff is going for something a little more straight and Trey is not. Trey is going for Dave's energy guide in whipping post. Not literally. He's not, I'm not, not saying there's a tease guys. <laughs> to settle down internet. Um, I'm just saying that like he's, approaching it differently whereas jeff is approaching it from a guy who's as a guy who's definitely spent a lot of time with live at the film east which <laughs> which is pretty cool i mean i'm down with that but uh i've spent a lot of time with it too but trey's bringing other stuff and i think that's that's where you can hear those paths diverge that spacey jam at the end of whipping post is yes. awesome it is awesome it gets really spacey and cool this is to me the most impactful moment of the entire tape. Um, there's a moment towards the end of this jam when it gets into the spacey zone where you hear it's forward thinking. I I don't want to say like you hear 10 years from now, but like what you hear the band doing and you're, you guys are absolutely right. Trey goes down to this kind of these low notes and he's just kind of riffing for sound and you can hear Mike start to give these like bubbly, uh, like not necessarily melodic, but like they're fully conversational ideas. He's not just, you know, hitting 
whatever rhythm we need at this point in time. This is like Mike as inspired by Phil Lesh, where like, I'm going to give you a statement that I'm going to say, and, and it's going to be from the bass, but it's also going to be as you know melodious as what you get from guitar. And Paige, rather than following them, moves up to like the highest part of his keyboard and gives you these like twinkling little melodies to it. And it just, I was listening to it yesterday. It blew me away. And I was like, that is right there. If there's nothing else. And you know, Fishman's just like on the toms in this like very subtle manner. If nothing else, that is kind of like the core of what this band is going to try to do over the next 40 years is figure out how do we, in an improvisational segment, find a conversation that we can all align on, but all say things that come from who we are as a person. And you can't teach that. And a lot of bands like, they'll jam, but they can't, they, they can't do that. That is a very hard thing to do when you either have it or you don't and fish has it. And they show it at this early, early stage. This, this jam fascinated me when I was listening to it yesterday. I mean, like the earliest stage, right? This is the first time the four of them are on a stage, right? And Paige knew it. Clearly he knew and he wanted to be part of this band and advocated for himself. And, you know, I think that's really cool that he knew that he wanted to be yeah. a good part of this and would add to it. Yeah. I mean, didn't he, he saw fish and was like, I am going to join that. He told people he was going to join that band. Yeah. He like, he booked them for his spring fest at Goddard, which is hilarious. Cause apparently at the time Goddard only had 33 students, but the spring fest had 12 bands. That's so amazing. I feel like that's a, almost a band of person. It's pretty good yeah, odds, you know. It's more <laughs> band than audience. Yeah, yeah. And then his I've, band I've Love Goat. Like that. That's the best. And then his band Love Goat opened up at this show at UVM. So I think Paige was kind of like stalking them in a good way. I want to read um, from Paige's uh, The Art of Improvisation. This was what he wrote. Uh, he turned this in on December 19th, 1987. This was his senior thesis. Um, Trey's senior thesis obviously was the man who stepped into yesterday. This was pages about improvisational music. Uh, in May of 1985 at Springfest, I was introduced to a band, Fish. I immediately knew I wanted to be a member. I moved to Burlington and I joined the band. It has taken roughly two years for me to figure out what my musical role is in the band. When I joined, there were five of us, two guitars, bass, drums, and keyboards. The music was extremely busy and there wasn't much space for me to shape the sound. After one year, one of the guitar players left and I began to grow into my space and develop my style. It was during my fourth semester that I began taking lessons with Lar Dung and a jazz pianist in Burlington. The thing that's fascinating, like you can hear that in this, this is a very busy show. And that was, you know, we've talked about that throughout this episode is this kind of dynamic between Trey and Jeff was very, very busy. It was a lot of notes and it was, Hey, I can do this. Oh, I can do this. Hey, we can do this together. And with Paige and you hear it in this other one, the like hint of space is going to be the key and simplicity is going to be the key. Yeah. I mean, they had, they had to learn to play with him as much as he had to learn to play with them. And the four guys had been filling all the space. Mm Mm-hmm. And they hadn't, you know, they had to figure out how to give him some and not just take a solo page, which is, mm-hmm. you know, it's part of it, but it is not it. So right. That, that takes time. Mm-hmm. 
Well, and that's something I remember reading about as we were putting together season one, you know, the, the King Crimson approach to playing is not you take a solo. Now you take a solo. Now you take a solo. It's, we all take a solo together. We figure out a way that it's democratic and we are all pushing forward. Mm -hmm. And that's an idea that I, I wonder in some cases, if that was, you know, intentionally where Trey saw the band or where the band saw themselves in 1983, 1984, or if now you get Paige and suddenly there's a realization of, wait, we have another level that we need to try to get to. Um, I want to read one other thing here from the art of improvisation before we finish this set. I think this is fascinating. This hints, this, this gets to what we've been talking about. Um, around 10th grade, I found a teacher who was going to teach me jazz improv. His name is Doug Fruler. He has some interesting ideas concerning improvisation. He developed a theory that there weren't seven modes as taught in Baroque theory, but that there were 72 modes. At the time, I wasn't familiar with modes at all. And even now, I'm not sure at how he arrived at the number 72. However, I did learn some important lessons from him. I learned that there is no right or wrong way to approach improvising and that as long as you really put yourself into it, it can work. Doug and his method are perfect examples of this. I also learned uh, some valuable tools through exercises that we did, primarily the tool of economy. Doug would have me do exercises where I would have to form melodies or play over blues progressions using only two, two, three, or four notes. I found that this approach could work and that I could create interesting melodies with only a few notes. When I listen to this other one, I hear that. He's not playing anything complicated. He's just adding this color and this layer to what the band is already doing, and it totally changes the dynamic of things. They don't need anything complicated at this point. Again, back to what I was saying before and what we've said a few times. So the complicated is happening. He's mm -hmm. just uh, you know, trying to ooze in the spaces, of which there weren't many. Right, um, right, but uh, which fascinating yeah. is going to be an an issue for fish for the next decade until they discover kind of this mm -hmm. rhythmic type of style where Paige is going to suddenly dominate in the band. Yeah, well, they you know they had to learn to do the the hay exercises and yeah. really and then let them creep out on stage, right? Mm -hmm. But I, you know, you're t we're talking about the other one, but I want to I want to talk about this bit in um, the antelope, mm -hmm. which is groovy. Yeah. Groovy as hell. Um, there's this part where Mike comes through really clearly on the tape. It's night the the mix is benefiting him at this point. And mm -hmm. and if you listen closely, I think it's about the middle part of the antelope, don't quote me. But he's doing um you know, he's not really playing antelope, they're jamming, and he's playing something for a, a few passes that reminds me exactly of um uh, oh God, I'm losing it. What's that song? My soul. Sorry. Mm -hmm. And and it's just a blues riff, right? It's not, you know, he's not playing my soul. Of course, you know, he's just, but like love listening to Mike, just kind of like fall into something spontaneously mm -hmm. in the jam. And it works really nicely. And everybody kind of rides along with that and they keep shifting and uh, cool jam. And the transition and the going into the other one is, uh, it's A plus, I don't know, 100, as the kids say. 
<laughs> I feel like this is also this jam is one of the first times you hear like the tension and release buildup that Fish just comes to be so known for and are just so good at. I think that you can really hear that Fish signature starting here. I love hearing this song because this in this version because usually this song is an absolute force of nature. I mean, it's just like a wave that crashes, you know. And I think now in this version, it's just it's chiller. It's more like you were saying, John. It's groovy. It's kind of meandering, and then you can just feel it kind of build up. and And it's so exciting to hear them just end up in the other one. This is the only time they ever played this song, yeah. and it's beautiful. It's just a that we know. I'd like to believe that they did it a bunch of times. We just don't know about it. I'd like to believe believe that too, Jonathan. We'll hold out hope. I want to believe also the, um, at Meriwether, they're going to do all of Skullfuck. So we'll get a little other one there too. Perfect. I'm curious, like, (laughs) this is a niche. Summer's going to be the This is a niche fish podcast. How are you getting set lists in advance? Oh, I told you, I, I really, mm-hmm. I only do mainstream fish podcasts, so I get mainstream <laughs> info. Instead of like the summer of 98, where they're going to do like a few covers every One once song. in a while, now Been they're going to do like full albums at yeah. all the stops. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. What I can't wait for is a couple weeks from now when we do our summer 2022 preview episode <laughs> and we tell everyone out there what songs will be played in what order. Nobody. Don't, I mean, don't give it away, Brian. Yeah, God. I'm. I'm gonna just do it. I'm, I'm going, going to have forgotten these predictions by then too. Which is <laughs> I'm curious. You know, we've talked. We've talked so much here in this throughout this set of you know Fish's approach to the Grateful Dead. I, I don't mean to put the two of you on the spot here, oh, no. but if you could, if you could request successfully one Grateful Dead song that would come to Fish and be a part of the rotation, like some of their other cover songs, what would it be? And why? I have an answer. Oh my God. I don't know if I do. You go, you go. Crazy Fingers. Oh, wow. I did not expect that answer. That's really fascinating. I wasn't expecting that either. That is a song that I think Fish could craft into a, you know, in their own manner of communicating as musicians, I think it would just be gorgeous. It would be worth our time. Mm. Um, China Cat would be fun too. Um, uh, thank you, Chip Chipperson. I don't think that's your real name, guy. Come on. Um, <laughs> but Crazy Fingers, I just think it would be just gorgeous. Uh, and, you know, they can't play um, Rogue every night. So. Mm-hmm. Let's hope not. It has. Digging up old old school HF pod rivals. Um (laughs) Crazy Fingers would be such a great ballad in the second set that would lead to some improv. Uh you just you know you want to hear Trey play that, but then but Paige also like Mm-hmm. I mean, all of them. It would, it would, oh, yeah, That's I'm excited by song. this idea. It's a good thing they're going to bust that out at Raleigh. <laughs> I was going to say China Rider. I think just because, like, sure. having having those two songs, I think there are so many things that Fish does well that happen in those songs. So, can we just ask them to do China Rider, just the China Rider jam? I mean, maybe China Cat mm. into their China Rider jam, and then I think that's called the. Uh, 
double chocolate chalk dust torture. Yeah, there you go. Mm -hmm. That's that's got it. Um, yeah, they've been playing around with the China Rider Jam so much in recent mm -hmm. years. The uh, tweezer from twelve twenty nine eighteen has elements of it. Yeah, you think of like a seventy four China Rider when they would stretch it out to be you know yeah. fifteen minutes long, and right. that would be great. Um, my pick is my eternal pick. It's probably my favorite Grateful Dead song. Uh, do do a weather report, sweet. Do let it grow. Mm. Uh, oh. It would be. It, it fits with like the kind of proggy aspect of what mm -hmm. you know Fish was doing in the 1980s, but always has a great jam to it. And I feel like Paige could sing it really well. You sure you don't Ooh. really want Picasso Moon? I mean, as an 80s <laughs> guy. If we want to go down this rabbit hole, my first purchased Grateful Dead album was uh, Nightfall of Diamonds. So the f like one of the first Grateful Dead songs <laughs> I ever heard was Picasso Moon. I got a soft spot for it. I could totally see Trey wanting to bust Picasso out Moon. Out. Come on. <laughs> in a drive-in movie. Oh my. Totally. That'd be great. Be, you know, the thing about, about Picasso Salma Moon. In the rain? Yeah, you in the know rain? what? I'd like that song. Uh, the thing about Picasso Moon is it's a song times. that I never want to see, but I always enjoyed Mm, yeah. Always God, another Picasso moon. Two seconds later. Samba in the rain. I think I heard at every fish or dead show that I saw. I saw twelve, and I think Oof. they played Samba in the rain every single time. I was like, "This is really okay, guys. I get it." Hey, yeah. that's a Robert Hunter yeah. lyric, so you be careful. There. <laughs> Samba in the rain, baby. Samba in the rain. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, man, I can hear it. We will uh, need fish really that one <laughs> Our bonus segment this week is going to be us doing Grateful Dead 90s tracks karaoke style. Oh, um, subscribe to HF Pod Premium on Apple Podcasts to hear that. Now, <laughs> definitely no one will. Yeah, they're going to be, well, no, they're going to be so disappointed. <laughs> Since we're we're like slightly shitting on classic rock and 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 live music from the late 80s early 90s, I just want to say Trey calling out um uh, Trey, Trey speaking against apartheid in uh, in the Makisupa really channels you uh, two in uh, the Rattle and Hum documentary <laughs> during Silver and Gold when and Bono calls out artists against apartheid, and then he asks the crowd, "Hey, that was a big thing, you? man. That was a big deal. It was a big, big deal in the day." Yeah, he asks the crowd, "Am I bugging you?" He says, "I don't mean to bug you," and then he tells the Edge, "K Edge." play the blues and the edge comes in with just an amazing guitar riff and it's it's amazing and you know one of my first things i ever listened to from fish was the uh uh Iculus where they make fun of this is red rocks this is the edge and i was like mm -hmm. shit i love you too and i love this band fish and they're like they're shitty on my one of my favorite bands <laughs> and now i listen were. back of course they were but now mm -hmm. i listen back they were two years earlier and the earnestness, like Trey says, jaw like seventy five yeah. times in this Mac is super policeman. It's really it funny. Is, it's really funny. Like there's like a true earnestness to try to embody uh, reggae music here. That um, you know, when you think about the origins of the song, is is kind of hilarious. But um, <laughs> so the show ends with you've got Antelope into other one, um, and then we have an encore. They say we're going to play one more song, and they play the third version all time. 12 performances total. The last performance 
coming in 1989, which is crazy. 10, 14, 89. After a 133, 133 show gap, uh, we get anarchy, which is like 14 seconds of fish being just like as DIY hardcore punk. <laughs> as we get it. It's unbelievable stuff. DIY. Two things here. Um, back to Makasupa. Uh, I, I swear to God, I heard uh, Paige teasing. You can't blame the youth. Uh, it's on mm. Talking Blues. You guys should know that album. If you don't, it's the best. Um, second, um, Anarchy would rule if they bring it back. Mm-hmm. Certainly wouldn't take much effort on their part. So no. Brian is going to be really psyched when they play that at the Encore at night three at Dick's. It's definitely a Dick's mm. bust out for it's sure. totally a Dick's bust out. It's a Dick's bust that's, out, 100%. That's a bad out. sentence. We had to come up with another term. Um, yeah, you're right. We're going to edit this podcast and go live again. Um, <laughs> 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 you know, we've been talking like so much about all these early 80s shows and like Lushington, Melt the Guns, mm-hmm. Dave's Energy Guide, Anarchy, like all Love these songs. Let's definitely need some We're Melt putting it out there. We're putting out the vibes. You brought back fuck your face. Like there could be no more ridiculous, crazy eighties fish song than that. We don't need, I would be happy for it, but we don't need dear Mrs. Reagan. I get why they don't want to play it anymore, but these songs prep school hippie. Prep school hippie. Yeah. Yeah. Um, But these songs, like even though melt the guns as a overt political message, let's just focus on the music, the music Mm -hmm. itself is just totally worth hearing. I know like, I know we want to fish wants to avoid politics with this sort of stuff, but like the music of melt the guns, come on. And honestly, more fish fans should listen to XTC. So let's cover melt the guns so that people will dig back in and listen to more great music. This is a very good point. That was, um, the origins for a, uh, uh, a fish podcast at one point. Crazy um, idea. Crazy <laughs> idea. Never catch fish, on. Listen to other music. Well, <laughs> um, what else do we have to say about this show before we move into our page appreciation segment of the show? I like it. I think people should listen to more eighties fish um, mm-hmm. because it really connects you to where they're from. And I think, you know, it's it's easy to just listen to. I mean, good God, they're they're playing so many shows. It's easy to just listen to fish of this era, um, but you're missing out if you don't go back. I could not agree more with that. Totally agree. I feel like I know the band so much better after listening to these old shows, and it's just fun. And a show like this doesn't take that long to listen to. It's That's not like the shows now where it's like four hours, and you know. Half your day is gone. This is not going to take you that long, and it's really fun. I think my only last thought on it is, like, in college, did you guys have, like, bands that you would see locally that you were like, man, this band is, like, really good. I could see them going places. Not really. No. I just listened to Fish and the Grateful Dead. Yeah, I mean. Herbie Hancock. Kind (laughs) of maybe one that, but I knew better. (laughs) <laughs> I guess my point is like I, I used to go see this band um on like a regular basis. They were called Miller Creek and they were so much fun and they were so Still good. And name. they were like 
they did. Um, but it was also where they lived in, in Missoula. So it worked, but, um, you know, they'd cover fish, they'd cover the dead, but then they wrote their own songs. And like for a while, it seemed like, okay, they could, they were moving up. They were playing festivals on a you know local level. And it was probably very similar to where fish was at in 1985 and 1986, just like slowly, but surely branching out. And it's so crazy to me that this band just sets up on campus. People were walking by and people probably saw them and were like, thought nothing else of it. Just like, ah, it's the hippie corner of campus. I want nothing to do with that party. And just walked on. And we're looking at a band that was going to headline Madison Square Garden. Smells like drugs over there. Keep walking. (laughs) We got finals. Um, (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And Goddard. <laughs> yeah. Um, all right, so let's talk about Paige. Um, we wanted to gush a bit about our guy Paige, the chairman of the boards. Um, you know, I went to my second fish show. There was somebody at the time, there was somebody running for something around here. Their name was McConnell. They're running for chairman of something, and I took a sign that said McConnell for chairman to uh 122894 and people were like who's McConnell? I was like are you fucking kidding me? I'm the noob here and you're asking me this? Hmm. Sorry, I just thought I'd bring that up. I'm still they probably jumped off dead tour. They probably weren't into it. The worst. To the 12 people that asked Jonathan that, he yeah. still is upset at you. Um You know, when I first got into fish, there was one of the appeals was page specifically because i didn't really listen to any other rock bands that had a baby grand piano on stage and you know featured moments like the squirming coil where you have a dedicated segment at the end that is fully dedicated to his grand piano one of my favorite favorite early moments with fish is when he plays that at the end of the great went uh set one stands up looks out at the crowd kind of pauses for a second the light is just absolutely perfect it's like late summer just after sunset and he just holds out and just goes stick around and walks off stage and i was like this band is I, don't, I don't know what it is but like that this band is it's pretty band. great there's it's, nothing it's like that moment when he's on stage alone at the end of squirming coil it's it's just Spot so right. magical and the lights there and it's just it's a beautiful moment that's like one of those theatrical things that fish does that other people don't do very good point it's a very good point. Let's go around and let's share some of our favorite Paige McConnell songs. Megan, starting with you, what is, I don't know how many you have, but mm. let's go, start going through your list here. Well, before we do that, can I tell a story about when I met Paige? Please. Oh, yes, please. Okay. So, Jonathan, you may have heard this before. Um, it was when I was in Europe and it was 1996 and we were touring with them and I'd seen all the headline shows, and I went to one Santana show, and that was in Köln, Germany. And there were probably 10 of us that went that off the tour and went to this um, headlining show. But the headlining Santana shows were where they opened for Santana. They were really expensive because Santana was legit, right? And so- Big time. Yeah. They, I remember, I don't remember what it cost, but it was something that was not something we had money for. And so we were trying to find a way to break in to the venue. And so there was like this fence that went up this hill and there was a spot where you could kind of climb over to get into the venue. It was 
unclear what happened once you got over the fence, but we figured we could do it. And so we, we started throwing our backpacks over and we started going over. And I was like one foot over the fence and Paige walks by and he looks at us and he's just like, what, what do you, what are you guys doing? You know, like, what are you, are you really trying to break in? And we're like, yeah, we can't afford the ticket. You know, there's this eight of us here. And he was like, all right, give me one of your names. And he took our friend's name and he was all on the guest list and got us all passes to go in and was so nice. was like, you know, enjoy the show, have a great time. So I go in the show and I'm by the bathroom waiting and he walks by again inside the venue and he stops and he's like, Hey, and I was like, Oh, hi. And he's like, you made it in. I was like, I made it in. Thank you so much. And you know, I was just so excited. And, and he was like, what's your name? And it was just, you know, where did you travel from and what are you doing here? And was just so nice and thoughtful and considerate and went out of his way to say hi to me. Um, he could have easily walked by and given me a wave. You know, there wasn't, he didn't need to interact with me. And so Paige is always at a special place in my heart. So I'm always Paige side. Cool. It's a good, sp- yeah. it's a good side to be. Yeah, it is a good side to be. Okay, so you want some some songs. I mean, are we talking specific versions or are we just talking like songs in general where we love Paige in those songs? I think whatever you got. I'm going to say it's an open question. Okay. Um, I was listening to November 2nd, 1996 today. It's the Coral Sky, Florida, Cross-Eyed and Painless. That is a version where Paige just absolutely tears it up on the organ and then goes into this weird, trippy, psychedelic synth. And that's my favorite when you hear Paige moving through his kit in a way that's somehow organic, but somehow takes the band on totally new territory. I feel like Paige is often the person who takes us on the spaceship. And for that, I am grateful. Cue the uh, gif where Paige is running, doing a circle yeah. around his rig and it uh, says at the bottom, I can't find my keys or something. <laughs> exactly. I can't tell you how many times I've gotten that gif from family members <laughs> thinking they're like hilarious. It is. Kind of <laughs> they, are. they are. And they're funny. That it's is, true. That is the equivalent of the uh, YouTube video of what does fish sound like to non-fish fans? And it's oh, like, yes. Like, yeah, yeah. You are the 450th person to send me this in the last <laughs> 449 people were not funny either. Um, <laughs> Although that does kind of sound like fish, you have to admit. Yeah, dude, I would buy that tape. <laughs> Good fish. Good fish. <laughs> you know, it, you said something that, like, I think is really worthy of highlighting. Um, I thought this at some point last year, like, you know it's a great fish jam when Paige has figured out a way to touch basically every keyboard. Because he continuously is creative. He is, you know, constantly thinking like, what is my next move? And then Trey responds to that or, you know, someone else in the band responds to the idea and the jam just keeps going. It's, it's when he moves to a different keyboard and they're like, Oh, let's move on to whatever's next. um, That, you know, you, you hear jams kind of, kind of fall off the cliff, but like when, when he is moving around that rig, it just showcases such creativity and such like resourcefulness on his behalf. I like that pick though. That's a great, great page jam. What about you, Jonathan? 
Uh, I'm not going to call out a specific jam, but I have a couple songs. I have a like a micro Brian Brinkman list of Ooh, songs that are important nice. to me. Um, Your favorites from Page, not versions, just great okay. songs. Um, Tila. Mm. Mm. Um, Strange Design. And the modern day favorite, I always wanted it this way, where mm-hmm. Seth Lord Page throws down, gives us a, ha- a little little taste of uns, and we boogie until Trey decides it's time for something else. Um, <laughs> and and I love that song, and uh, and I think that gives you a nice little picture of a couple of the things that Page brings that mm-hmm. you know, really don't like. Trey's finally found a way to sing Strange Design on his own, on his solo tours. So, And good for him. I would, too, if I were him. But uh, I'm so glad that he had Paige to sing it when he wrote it, because I love it that way. And the um, Tila is... Uh, yeah, okay, I have a specific good. version. Uh, Deer Creek '95 um, mm. was my first Tila, and and just hearing that happen was just wonderful. It's wonderful. Paige's yeah. singing voice is so important, and and you know, and if I just focus on that, I could always you know say that there's probably more. There's like Life on Mars, which is the one song that I'm really actually actively chasing. Mm. Mm. Um, unfortunately, they're going to play that at the show after the one that I attend. As <laughs> of course. Norm. Um, but I'm not going to tell them which one it is, so we'll see what happens. <laughs> um, yeah, so that's that's the thing that, like, I, obviously Paige is an immense player, and nobody could do what he does the way he does it with Fish. Um, but I, I want to highlight his singing, so I just did. Mm. Yeah. Uh, yeah, his singing. When I first got into Fish and we were thinking about like Fish in the 90s, there was always something about the way that Paige sang songs. And Tila is such a perfect example of this. I still remember the first time I heard it. And I was driving around with this guy who was getting me into Fish at the time. And Tila comes out and he's like, oh, this is part of Game Henge. This is a really good Paige song. And just listening to it, and it was like haunting. It was pretty. Mm-hmm. It has so many different elements. And like the way Paige sings that just adds so much to the story at that point. I came up with a mini Brian Brinkman list as well. Oh, like, good. I've got mine too. So I'll go after you, Brian. <clears throat> and I actually, as is, as I will, uh, I separated this into songs and jams. So we can share both, you know. But um, I always wanted this way, led my list, because I think it's the, at the time it came out, it was the freshest original sound that we'd heard from Fish in a long, long, long time. And the Mexico 2019 version is one of my favorite jams of recent years. The Grand Prairie 2016 version is a excellent version as well. I highly recommend people listening to that. 1024. Um 16. But then I also want to give two shout outs to two page solo records of the last couple of years that I recommend everybody check out. 
uh, Unsung Cities and Movies Never Made, which came out in 2013. And Maybe We're the Visitors, which was inspired by Paige's trip to uh, Iceland in, I believe, 2021. I'm so into that album. It's so good. It's so good. It is so cool. I sent it to my brother-in-law, who just has really great music taste. And I remember he was like, you gave me like a fish-related album. That's cool. And he put it on, and he texted me when he played it. He was like, oh, my God, this is so cool. It's really cool. It's it's amazing. It's like they it's like Paige isolated all the things he's added to Fish Jams since the Baker's Dozen, right? And just gave you a record, and it's brilliant. Um, I also want to uh, uh, shout out when Fish records in Bearsville in the spring of 1997. Page's then job was to listen to the entire sessions and come up with isolated tracks, which is the Sicket Disc, which is Story of the Ghost. Page is the reason why so many of those songs came from those sessions. He spent hours listening to this stuff, trimmed it all down, called these are like the three minutes that are isolated that would then become, you know fish tracks that we would hear throughout the fall of 1987 throughout the island tour and would eventually be on story of the ghost and the sick of disc. So I will always thank him for that period in time where he, who knows what he was doing, you know, in his spare time, but like decided to just like hole up, listen through 50 hours or so of jamming from the band and figure out, okay, there's a song here. And then these songs turn into Frankie says, these songs turn into ficus. They turn into ghosts. Happy whip and dung things. song. The happy whip and dung song. What's the use? My left toe. Hey, please, please bring back my left toe. Oh my God. Um, but just want to shout out those moments because the experimental side of paid where he's able to tap into this like atmospheric murky ambient t- uh, style of fish. Some of my favorite stuff about the band. Mm-hmm. What do you have, Megan? I just wanted to point out a few songs where I'm always like keyed into page and that's, I would be remiss if I didn't mention rock and roll. I mean, how awesome is Paige in that song? And how much does that song always just deliver? And there are some really, really great versions. I think 1229-2011 is just, he just tears it up. The whole entire jam. He sounds incredible. I love when they play that song. It's just, it just hits My me right. My favorite fish cover. Really? Your favorite? Wow, that's awesome. My number one. My number one yeah, game. it's just, it's just the best. <laughs> I also love, obviously, I just, whenever they play Bathroom Gin, I'm always just thinking about Paige so much and dancing to him and just blown away by him every time they play that. And then the other day I was listening to Rift and just realizing how incredible he is in that song. I mean, truly, truly incredible in that song. I mean, that that whole album is really like built on so many immense contributions from page like maze for example Mm -hmm. like that album doesn't work without page mcconnell no and that's one of my favorite fish albums so it makes sense yeah and there's so many good things i think that thinking about different times like there's a 12 29 97 tube where page is just all over it on the piano and just really that jam's amazing to re-listen to anyway and then the providence bowie i think listening to him in that jam 
I think one thing that I think about in that jam specifically, but also just in for Paige, he just brings this elegance and a sophistication a lot of the time, like you were mm-hmm. saying, Brian, with the grand piano, that is really elevates me, their music and also their jams. And but then also he brings this like, you know, super crazy synth spacey weird stuff. His his range is just incredible. Yeah. The root, the root in like classical music and then also Mm -hmm. like experimental music is that, that divergence is just, it's fascinating for him. What were you going to say, Jonathan? Well, I I, I think I can bring this home. There's, there's a reason that Paige is able to really just, you know, cover all of this ground and link all of these parts together is, I mean, he's been around a while. (laughs) Where's he been? Anybody get that? I don't know. Been around a while. Come on. All right. <laughs> where's he been? He's been to town. I, I don't know where he's been. Can you someone tell me where he's been? He's been to That's town. Down. Okay. Been to town. All right. Been to town. Come <laughs> down on page. If you um, want to hear us sing that, though, you're going to have to become a bonus subscriber so you can hear. We're going to be that. singing fish songs on Wednesday. Mm-hmm. Um, do you have more to your list, or, or can I jump into my? No, I think you should jump in. Space? Right. I mean, I could go on forever, but we're going to stop here. I'll stop here. Yes, some we of could. us have to eat dinner at some point. I know. Okay. I've got to go back to New York City tonight. we got things to do. We'll we'll all get to that once I get through my list. <laughs> I will get to when we all stop <laughs> One talking. thing at a I time. I tell you my list. <laughs> so I've got just a few handfuls. I, I really tried, guys. I was like, I've got two examples. And two led to four, which led to, you know. Um, but... The 1128-94 tweezer, you talk about elegance, Meg. Like there's mm-hmm. a segment in that jam where it's just page. And that is a very different approach that you're going to mm-hmm. have for a 44-minute jam than most bands are capable of doing. Um, 12-1-95 mics into Weekapog. That shit rules your face. Rules your face. And page on the synthesizer with Trey, it is some of the – most like candy coated fish I've ever heard mm. in my entire life. I, I put that on and I just like, I don't dance well, but I just can't stop dancing. Um, four, three, 98 Piper into loving cup. That is my favorite jam of the Island tour. You get Trey playing these just like dark, just like CD chords. Mike is just all over the place. Fishman, it's like industrial music, and the entire time Paige sits at the grand piano and adds this just elegant nature to it and then goes into Loving Cup. Uh 12203 Piper. If you guys, everyone out there, if you haven't listened to the 12203 Piper, pause the podcast, go listen to that Piper. It is some of the most insane page that you will ever hear. It is so just like dark and all over the place and just insanity in the middle of the first set. Uh, three more seven, 13, 14 Chuck does torture around like 21 minutes. Trey is playing these weird loops and page again is on the grand piano. There's a theme here. Um, and <laughs> he's just like, he, he is holding it down. It sounds so psychedelic. It sounds like something off of the Victor disc, which is um, a, one of my favorite things fish has ever done. Uh, 713 or seven, excuse me, seven thirty seventeen drowned uh, page on the roads in an amazing version of drowned from Jimmy's night. And then from last fall, the 10, 16, 21 Carini that gem rules. 
So encore 20 minute version of Carini following an excellent show, but that show or that jam is nothing without around like 13 minutes page moves to the synthesizers. The jam just swells up the, the way that Corona had the lights was just like red down on the band and these like white lights coming out to the crowd. It's, it's like, it it's just like, printed in my brain the way that it looked and trey is just like leaning into the wah but like none of it sounds as big as it does without page on the synths and it's just it it made me cry it made me cry there you have have it one i have one more and as luck would have it my good friend dave anderson is out there in the comments putting one up there if you could put that on the screen for us he is calling the 1231.95 sea and sand dave my good friend what's up dave Dave. is reading my mind because i was gonna say sea and sand and that is the one Uh, although the next one i see might be the one if i ever get to see it again Ish. Well, if you're going to be in Charleston, no, right by, see, no, not going to be in Charleston uh, or Alabama. That's when they told me they're going to play it again. Um, <laughs> no, but you're right because that's the same thing we're talking about. Like that week of pog, mm-hmm. it's so funky. I mean that riff, like like unbelievable. You know, we're and supposed to do somehow, that in the bonus app. You're just giving away the giving, giving away the top material. Yeah. That's that's <laughs> next week's bonus where we. Acapella sing oh. fish jams that we have in our sing band. jams. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's a different thing. That's a different thing. Um, <laughs> but, but somehow out of that groove, that makes no sense that any band would ever find that groove and figure out a way to play it. I have no idea how they play that, let alone at like 12, 15 in the morning. But then Paige comes in with the baby grand. Hmm. And leads them into sea and sand. It's one of the all time. I, I have no idea how any band makes that segue work. It's it's fascinating. Clearly, we could do this for hours. Clearly, we could all audition for Clearly. Um, Fish Eric and I- Idol or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but we will pause <laughs> it for now with Jonathan's head in his hands. Um, we will be back. <laughs> On Wednesday, with a very cool episode, we're we're digging into we're we're doing deep cuts here. We're gonna be mm-hmm. talking five four ninety four from New Orleans. And why are we talk, talking about the show? Well, it happened on the day that we're gonna be talking about it. That's we're liking doing the anniversary shows, but also the Cosmic Country Horns come on for the second set. It's really mm-hmm. really fantastic stuff. So I encourage everyone out there listen to five four ninety four and join us on Wednesday at. 4.30 p.m. Eastern, also 3.30 p.m. Central, 2.30 p.m. Mountain, and 1.30 p.m. Pacific for those of you who are in other time zones other than the East Coast. I know it's hard. Sometimes East Coasters think that that's where everybody lives. We broadcast to all. Um, so we'll be back on Wednesday. Before we do that, Megan, would you like to tell us once again about our sponsor, Sunset Lake CBD? Absolutely. Let me just pull up. Um, do you have the ad copy in front of you? Oh, you know what? I've got it right here. I'll take it. You got it. You got it. Sunset Lake CBD is a majority employed 
uh, see, I, I, I have it, but I can't read. Yeah. Um, Sunset Lake CBD is a majority employee-owned hemp farm located just outside Burlington, Vermont. For years, Sunset Lake was a dairy farm producing milk for Ben & Jerry's ice cream, and in 2019, they diversified and started growing hemp for CBD. Sunset Lake CBD embraces Vermont's tradition for land stewardship by using sustainable and regenerative farming techniques to build and protect healthy soils. They are 100% pesticide fee free. It's the little words I stumble on. The big ones, no problem. Uh, they use minimal free tillage and implement well. cover crops and crop rotations. They also serve as a research farm for University of Vermont agronomists to study hemp and inform best industry practices. I just want to, once again, shout out the hemp salve with, salve with Arnica. Whoop, that rotate it for anybody watching. Love this stuff. Uh, and uh, check them out today at www.sunsetlakecbd.com. Use the coupon code HFPOD for 20% off all products. Sunset Lake CBD, farmer-owned, Vermont-grown. Thanks, Jonathan. Hey, I got you. That was good. Good way to support your teammate. Um, the We also want to tell you about our other sponsor, Cash or Trade, which is the only secondary ticketing marketplace where fans buy, sell, and trade tickets at face value. Curious if people were buying, selling, or trading tickets to 5385. I don't know. Nobody will know at this point. Free show. But Free you show. may be trading them for summer shows where they're going to play things like Melt the Guns and Anarchy mm-hmm. and um, uh, Lushington. Finally, it's happening. You're going to want to see these bus stops. <laughs> Fans are able to DM each other before, during, and after transactions where you can rate and review each other once a transaction is completed. There's no added fees to sell your tickets. All sales are fully protected by cash or trades. Protection, trader protection policy, which guarantees your money back should there be any issues with your tickets. Users can avoid purchase fees with a gold membership subscription. Get that gold membership subscription. Start using cash or trade. Visit cashortrade.org to learn more. And with that, I will bid you all adieu. Thank you all out there in niche podcast land. Nobody got it, but I will just say I stole it from Mr. Zach Lowe of The Low Post every time he introduces his podcast as the greatest niche basketball podcast. I listen to that when I go running. We are the greatest niche fish podcast. Jonathan <laughs> says he's mainstream. I haven't gone mainstream yet. I haven't gone mainstream. I'm still, I'm still indie. Um, thank you all for hanging with us here today. This is <laughs> fun to talk about Paige to show off our vocal chops. We will see you on Wednesday. See you guys. Bye guys.
Osiris. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hi, listeners. I want to tell you about a cause that I'm involved with at Heritage Radio Network. HRN is celebrating its 15th year. And to celebrate, we're deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers. And we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you.